Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, September 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, there will be a Republican primary debate, kind of. The North Carolina special elections go Republican. You can listen to Tim Ryan's new album on Spotify. Yes, really. The Times asks 2020 candidates to weigh in on executive power. Buttigieg and Klobuchar share an awkward airplane moment. And yet another head-to-head poll makes waves but doesn't mean much. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, I asked on Monday whether there might be a Republican primary debate now that we have an actual Republican primary field. Well, the answer is yes. Kind of. According to a Fox News story by Paul Steinhauser, the three non-Trump Republicans have been invited to debate. The group includes former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, former Illinois Representative Joe Walsh, and former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld. At press time, Walsh and Weld are confirmed, while Sanford is working to resolve a scheduling conflict. Trump will not attend. The debate will be held by Business Insider and will stream live on Business Insider Today, which is itself a show on Facebook Live. It'll happen on Tuesday, September 24th, and will be held in the Business Insider New York City headquarters. The moderators will include Henry Blodgett, Anthony Fisher, and Lynette Lopez, all of whom are affiliated in some way with Business Insider or its parent company, Insider Inc. Reading here from Fox News, quote, The political landscape has changed immeasurably since Donald Trump ran for and was elected president, said Nicholas Carlson, the global editor-in-chief of Insider Inc. It's vitally important to have an honest conversation about what it means to be a Republican in the era of Trump. Our debate will be a valuable part of that discussion. An optimistic Weld told Fox News that we already have our first televised debate signed up for, and that's going to add a new dimension to the race. And I think it's going to be harder and harder for the Trump forces to ignore the fact that 2020 is an election year. End quote. I will bring you more details on this debate as they emerge. Also, I should point out, if there are any other Republicans out there considering a run, right now might be a really good time to announce. Yesterday, I reported on the special election in North Carolina with a focus on North Carolina's 9th District. Well, Republicans had a good night. Dan Bishop, the Republican candidate, won the 9th District against Democrat Dan McCready. In addition to that race, there was another in North Carolina's third, which was won by Republican Greg Murphy. Now, that third district thing was by no means competitive, with Murphy coming out about 24 percentage points ahead. In the 9th district, though, Bishop won by 2%. That is plenty to avoid a runoff, and he has the seat. At the same time, Democratic pundits are pointing out that the 9th district has been safely red for many decades, and this was pretty close, even after Republicans spent millions of dollars and sent both the sitting president and VP to campaign. So what does this all mean? Well, it depends on who you ask, but let me read here from an article in 538 by Nathaniel Rakich. Quote, On paper, it was Republicans who emerged victorious, going two for two in two separate congressional elections. But there was also a silver lining for Democrats. Their final vote margin in the night's marquee race was much bluer than the district's baseline partisanship. That race was the do-over election in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, where alleged election fraud tainted the results of the 2018 contest to such a degree that the state elections board opted to hold a new election. After the Republican candidate got just 905 more votes than the Democrat in the 2018 election, Republicans pulled off a clearer win this year. Based on unofficial results as of 11.30 p.m. on Tuesday night, Republican State Senator Dan Bishop defeated Democrat Dan McCready 51% to 49%. However, Democrats did 11 points better in the district than we'd expect them to in a neutral political environment, as this is normally a heavily Republican district. 
it is 14 points redder than the nation as a whole, according to 538's partisan lean metric, and Trump won the district by 12 points in 2016. The results also represent a continuation of the mini-realignment we've seen in the Trump era of suburbs getting bluer and rural areas moving even more toward the GOP. For instance, McCready lost the district even as he won suburban Mecklenburg County by 13 percentage points, an improvement on the 2018 results when he won Mecklenburg by 10 points. The portion of Mecklenburg that falls in the 9th district consists of affluent white areas of Metro Charlotte. But as noted by Ryan Matsumoto, an analyst at Inside Elections, McCready did worse than his 2018 performance in every other county, most of which are sparsely populated. End quote. So on the other side, the president tweeted quite a bit about all this with somewhat less nuance and celebrated the victory. You know, getting close in politics is nice and all, but a win's a win. In this case, Democrats are facing an increasingly polarized urban-slash-rural split, and it's not clear whether that same dynamic will continue all the way into 2020, or something else might emerge. Next up, in the Things I Thought I'd Never Say department, Ohio Representative Tim Ryan has dropped an album. Let me just read his tweet. Quote, I dropped an album. Really. Listen to my hashtag new and better agenda on Spotify. End quote. And then he literally links to an album on Spotify. The artist is Tim Ryan, and the album is called A New and Better Agenda. This is looking good. Maybe it's like, you know, mid-90s alternative rock or something? Now look, you know me, I'm the guy who said when O'Rourke wanted to reintroduce himself, he should have done so with Jay-Z's public service announcement, which famously includes the lyric, allow me to reintroduce myself. So I was pretty psyched to hear these hot beats from Tim Ryan. I mean, who wouldn't be? So let's listen to a random snippet from track six. It's a song called College Affordability, and I don't have the whole track because I don't subscribe to Spotify. But anyway, here is that preview. This is literally what happens when I hit the play button on track six in the tweet. Turn up the bass and get ready for Tim Ryan to spit some bars. People uh, getting a certification or a one-year degree or two-year degree uh, to move us into uh, the new economy. We've got to close the skills gap in the United States. A vast majority of the jobs uh, of the future, uh, over 90% really since the Great Recession, uh, have required more than a high school diploma. And we need to make sure that there aren't any economic barriers for people uh, to at least uh, get two years. Yeah, so if you're a Spotify subscriber, there is a heck of a lot more where that came from. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, true story time. When I graduated from high school, I went down to the library and got a book on stock picking, and I picked a bunch of total jokers by following this weird, magical thinking strategy involving curves and the Dow and all this weird stuff. Anyway, my first five stock picks all went down the drain. And there is a lesson there. Do some research on an actual company rather than using some bizarre magic formula. And that's where my Wall Street comes in. My Wall Street does the research, and they tell you about stocks they think are solid and why? You get actual facts about actual companies. My Wall Street helps you enter the world of investing with a trustworthy partner at your side. Or if you're already there and you want some excellent research, this is the tool you need. So check it out. Election Ride home listeners can access the entire My Wall Street app, all that research, for free, and use it for 30 days instead of the normal 7-day free trial. After a full month, you can stick with their expert guidance for just $9.99 a month. So visit MyWallST.com 
slash ride to download the app now and get access to their market-beating stock picks and expert guidance. Again, that link is spelled mywallst.com slash ride. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Yesterday, the New York Times published a massive feature titled, We Asked 2020 Candidates How They Would Wield Presidential Power. Here it's what they said, and it's just what you'd think. Reading from the intro by Charlie Savage, quote, American political fights often turn on interpretations of executive power, whether and when the president may act without congressional approval or defy federal statutes, particularly in matters of war, secrecy, and law enforcement. The Times sent a survey to the presidential candidates about their understanding of the scope and limits of the authority they would wield if elected. The candidates also detailed any potential new curbs on White House power they would be willing to sign into law, end quote. And then there are 16 candidates who responded, including Joe Walsh and Bill Weld on the Republican side. But the Times piece is missing a handful of major candidates. Reading again from the fine print at the bottom, quote, In June, I sent a questionnaire to candidates challenging President Trump in the 2020 election. I had also conducted this survey in each of the past three primary campaigns. Several other candidates were also invited to participate but have not yet answered the questions, including Bill de Blasio, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Tom Steyer, and Andrew Yang. The Times will update this graphic if and when any of them provide answers. Before they dropped out of the race, John Hickenlooper answered the questions, and Kirsten Gillibrand provided a general statement. Mr. de Blasio also provided a statement. End quote. Both of those statements and the Hickenlooper answers are linked in the article at the way bottom. Now, this survey is way long, with 11 topic areas, and I'm not going to read like five minutes of quotes here, but there is a huge pile of text over at the New York Times, link in the show notes, of course, covering a bunch of topics. This is everything from freedom of the press, to military power, to whether a sitting president can be indicted. This is a terrific way to look at how specific candidates choose to respond to these complex questions. Some of them offer simple, short, direct answers. Others give what are essentially essays in response, and most fall somewhere in between. But one of the most fascinating questions to me is number 10, where the question is incredibly short and simple. They simply ask, quote, who are your campaign's advisors for legal issues? End quote. Of the 16 candidates who were asked, only five gave what I consider to be a real answer. Most of them simply did not answer at all, while others gave an answer saying they didn't really want to tell the Times or might do it later or whatever. And that includes, by the way, the entire top three of the Democratic field. They all gave non-answers here. It's a pretty simple question. So you have to give credit to people who actually answered the question. For example, Bill Weld's answer was, quote, Nicholas Rostow, R.J. Lyman, Martin Skold, end quote. That is an answer that is concrete and unambiguous and points to Weld. Now, let's briefly look at another example. Elizabeth Warren responded, quote, My campaign relies on and appreciates advice and guidance from a variety of legal scholars and practitioners, end quote. 
that is a non-answer. The question was specifically who these people are, not whether they exist or whether you appreciate them. So check out the link and dig in for a bunch of policy stuff and a few pretty notable non-answers. All right, this next one is a quickie and it caught my eye because it was a funny little moment and it got a little funnier the closer you looked. So yesterday afternoon, Mayor Pete Buttigieg posted a photo on Twitter and wrote, quote, very funny, United, end quote. The photo shows the interior of an airplane with a two by two seat configuration, meaning that on each side of the plane, you got two seats, window and aisle. So this is probably a small commuter jet for a short flight. Also, this is definitely not first class and you can tell the photo was taken in row 12. Anyway, the photo shows Senator Amy Klobuchar laughing in an aisle seat, in other words, closer to the middle, and sitting one row ahead of Buttigieg, who is grinning, but is also crammed into a window seat where the window doesn't actually line up with the seat. You know, he's just kind of misaligned there. He is behind Klobuchar and is farther to the left of the plane. In the location, data the tweet is marked as coming from Ronald Reagan, Washington National Airport. So I hope the candidates had a nice flight together. Oh, and United Airlines did in fact respond a bit later, writing, quote, Hey Pete, we thought you two might want to talk debate strategies before the big night Thursday, end quote. But that's not all. The passenger seated across the aisle from Klobuchar posted a bunch of photos and explained what was going on. His Twitter handle is at LBTX3, and he posted selfies with each of the candidates, among other things. When somebody else asked him on Twitter to explain what Klobuchar was laughing at in that first picture, he wrote, quote, Me! I made a joke about giving up my seat to Mayor Pete and team. I told him it was going to cost him. But I was okay because I got to sit next to the amazing Amy Klobuchar. She was wonderful. She knows how to keep busy and make a complete stranger smile. End quote. Last up today, this next item I mentioned only because you're gonna hear about it and I think you should be prepared to know why it doesn't really matter that much. A new poll from the Washington Post and ABC News included a variety of questions that are pertinent to the upcoming election. And the one that got the most play online today was one of those head-to-head matchup polls, where the question reads, quote, If the 2020 presidential election were being held today and the candidates were Donald Trump, the Republican, and so-and-so, the Democrat, for whom would you vote? Would you lean toward Trump or so-and-so? End quote. And obviously, so-and-so is my term. In the actual poll text, they use the word item to indicate a candidate's name, and what they mean is they would insert the name of a real candidate there when the pollster was asking the question live over the phone. Well, okay, the poll had a margin of error of plus or minus four percentage points for this particular question, which they asked of all registered voters. The responses broke down so that every single Democrat they asked about beat Trump by a pretty decent margin. For kicks, I'm going to read those numbers, but I want you to listen to them knowing that they are highly dubious because we are so far away from the general election. Okay, got it? All right, going to read some matchups now. Biden wins 55 to 40. Sanders wins 52 to 43. Warren wins 51 to 44. Harris wins 50 to 43. And Buttigieg wins 47 to 43. Now, again, poll literacy time. The margin there is plus or minus 4% in either direction for either side. Does that make sense? 
So that thing where Biden shuts out Trump by 15 points, well, that actually is outside the margin, even if the poll is actually the full four points off for each candidate. There's an eight point margin there because we could be wrong on the Trump side, we could be wrong on the Biden side, but he's 15 points ahead, you know? So he's outside the margin. The same thing is true for Sanders. The other three, Warren, Harris, and Buttigieg, are all technically polling within the margin of Trump, though obviously there does appear to be a trend here, which is that Trump can't seem to break about 44% in any of these matchups within this particular poll, and that does agree with previous polling I've seen about this. Now, having said all that, the thing we should pay most attention to here is the amount of support Trump can draw versus anybody, and that appears, maybe, to have a ceiling, at least right now. In this case, like I said, it's 44%, plus or minus the margin of error of 4%. So he might have a ceiling of 48%, who knows? Now, that ceiling, that number is going to change in some direction by the time a year from this November rolls around and people actually vote. And by the same token, there were five Democratic candidates listed. Obviously, only one of them is actually going to be running for president in the general. And those candidates are also going to change during that massive time period. So go back and check out the episode of this show from August 16th, titled Understanding Early Head-to-Head -head Polling, for some more data and a simple explanation of why Democrats should not get too excited about these particular kinds of polls. There is a link to that episode in the show notes at the very bottom. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, it is a solemn day to do a news show, or really much of anything, to be frank. I'm glad to be here and to have my co-pilot, my trusty Russian blue cat, Mr. Spock, asleep on a blanket next to me, gently snoring as I record the show. And before you ask, no, there has been no Russian blue interference in this program, unless you count repeated requests for lap time, which I will admit did affect my writing somewhat. All right, as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.